Hey, hey, remarkable people. This is Tracy Robbins, and you are listening to Thy Neighbor Podcast. This podcast is designed to inspire you to expand your community, to connect more often with those who are in your path, and of course, to love thy neighbor as thyself. You will hear from individuals in my day-to-day life who are crushing it and making the world a more lovely place to inhabit. Have a listen. One and all, I am so excited to introduce Michelle Kelsey, the owner of Michelle K Coaching. She helps women get the marriage they want without leaving the one they have. In this podcast, Michelle outlines the five principles that she teaches her clients and shares her own story of self-realization through her divorce. This episode is full of hope and she gives us skills that we can apply to improve our current relationships. Please share it with those who you know are in a difficult place. No matter the kind of relationship, they can benefit from what she teaches. Also visit her website, michelle-k.com, and she is soon to publish a podcast called Modern Marriage Makeover. Keep that tucked away so that you can check it out. And of course, please like and subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it on iTunes. That, of course, helps the podcast reach more people, and I appreciate every single person who has done that. Thank you again. Hello, Michelle. You are a life coach and you specifically serve women who navigate difficult marriages without leaving their marriage. What guided you to this niche? Well, what guided me to the niche was my own dumpster fire of a divorce and pretty much the hindsight realization that I totally could have fixed my marriage, but I didn't. And at the time, I didn't know how. So to be clear, I help women who want to stay in their marriage um, to create a marriage that they want to stay in. Um, Or if she needs to leave, I can help her do that because the last thing I'm going to do as a coach is to coach a woman to stay in a marriage that she shouldn't be in. But that's usually not the case. My clients come to me because they're unhappy and they want to stay. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us a little bit more about your specific experience with your marriage? Yeah. So To give you a little history, I was married um, at the ripe old age of 21 (laughs) to my husband, who he was a convert, and he had converted to the church after after we had met. And we were sealed in the temple a couple years after our civil marriage. We were active in the church our whole marriage. Um, He'd been a bishop and seminary teacher and, you know, all the things. And we had had five children and were married for 24 years. And you know, during that time, I would have described our marriage as typically, you know, ups and downs, good times, bad times, lots of, um, lots of the typical things that you struggle with being married. And I would probably have described it as (laughs) happy-ish. So, but just to give you a little peek, usually a story provides a little peek into <laughs> the background of what's actually going on. And so here's just an example of something that that occurred in our marriage that, that was sort of a theme. I didn't recognize it at the time, um, but in hindsight, um, it was sort of a marker as to the overall theme of our marriage. So we had built a house. Uh, we lived in in Idaho. We both grew up in Idaho and we had lived there and built, um, after we were married, maybe 12 years, we decided to build a a bigger home outside of, um, in a smaller town. Um, And so we worked on that home for a couple of years, moved into it. And we ended up living there for about two and a half years. And, um, you know, winters in Idaho are cold. And my husband was very concerned about contributing to the make Idaho power rich plan. (laughs) So he decided that he would regulate our heaters to be around 62 degrees, um, you know, even in the winter. So obviously that was, you know, my thought about that at the time was, you know, this is pretty crazy. We're freezing, uh, but there's nothing I can really do about it. And we just bundled up and put 
sweaters and jackets and blankets on. And, you know, it was, it was pretty frustrating. I was homeschooling my kids at the time. And what would happen is he would, we would get up in the morning, the house would be really chilled and he would get ready and head off to work. And I would be there with the kids and I would crank the heat up, <laughs> even though the, the instruction was to leave it, you know, at that set point. And so it would be relatively comfortable during the day. And then he would, you know, I knew that he would be coming home later in the evening and I would turn the heaters down. And then by the time he got home, it, the house was sufficiently cool. And I just we would pretend that we were going along with that plan. And, you know, in the middle of that, and, and it didn't, it wasn't always smooth. You know, he, I would turn them up sometimes on the weekends or turn the heat up sometimes on the weekends and he would want it down. And there was a lot of friction, you know, around at that time. And eventually the way that we solved it, we thought we solved the problem as we actually picked up everything and moved to Hawaii. So the interesting thing about that <laughs> was that I thought we were leaving the heater wars behind. That's what I called that period of time that we were having the heater wars. Mm -hmm. And I thought that that's what was going to happen. But of course, you can't run from systemic problems that are occurring in your life or in your marriage. And so what started out as heater wars morphed into the AC wars. <laughs> so now we're living in a hot climate, but having the same fight over and over. So, you know, the irony of this was that it was something that was fixable. You know, I could have fixed this, but I didn't because I didn't ever speak up. I didn't believe that I had the power to do so. So fast forward to about three years ago, and it was Mother's Day um, of 2018. And my husband came home from a work trip and announced that he wanted out. He was having an affair and was, was done. He was ready to go live a simple life. Of course, I was devastated and blindsided. I did not see it coming at all. Had no clue that that, you know, was happening, could happen. It was not on my radar whatsoever. So long story short, it took about five months. We had a quick divorce. Um, and then we... Um, you know, I just found myself 48 years old, single, bewildered as to how this had happened and basically just a hot mess. <laughs> so I simmered in that mess for about a year, you know, feeling like a victim and very justified in my anger over being wrong. But in my second year after being divorced, I finally started to pull myself together. And that's when I hired a life coach. So that was a turning point for me when I just decided that I was done living in that victim place and I was ready to take my life into my own hands. So I would describe that as definitely one of the turning points in my life. One little story of something that happened at that time was my, <laughs> as I was pulling myself out of this victim place, my coach was very patiently one day listening to me list off all of the reasons that I had been a perfect wife, all of the things that I had done. I had been, it's funny because I think about it now and I, I think that I probably sounded, sounded a bit like Mary Poppins. I was practically perfect in every way. <laughs> I was telling her exactly how I had been. And she stopped me or she listened for a while. And then she stopped me and she said, Michelle, husbands don't leave perfect wives. And it was like I had been kicked in the stomach when she said that. It was so confronting to me to think about, to entertain the possibility that I hadn't been because I had been so trapped in that narrative, you know, of being the victim of being the woman wronged for so long that I, I couldn't even see it. And then she asked, the next question that she asked was, how did you create a marriage in which your husband wanted to leave you? Again, <laughs> I felt like I kicked in the stomach, like, how is that possible? But, well, and let me tell you this, to a non-civilian. So I had gotten, I had gotten certified as a life coach at this point. So she may not have been this blunt or direct to 
a civilian, meaning a non-coach, but she knew that I could handle it. And she also knew that all of my power lied in me being able to lay and me being able to answer the question, how did I create this problem? Because if I could see that, if I could see how I created a marriage in which my husband wanted to leave, then that meant I could fix it. Because if you create something, you can fix it. Obviously, it took me it took me a while to recover. Just in that moment, I had to sit there for a long time and think about it. But then, well, I had three thoughts. The first thought was, if I had indeed created my unhappy marriage, you know, one in which my husband wanted to escape from, then I wasn't actually a victim. I didn't have to stay in that painful place anymore. My second thought was, if I created this mess, then I can create something better. And I immediately you know, felt the power of that. It felt powerful. I hadn't felt <laughs> the previous two years. And my third thought, it was more of like a scene that was playing out in my mind than a thought. And it was, it was interesting because my mind flashed immediately back to a memory that I had had from our past. And, and it, it was common. It was something that happened over and over. So it was probably a conglomerate memory, but I remember my my husband coming in from work and this is in Idaho. And we'd ha- we had a home with a, a big bonus room, you know, which is the boys' bedroom over the garage and the kitchen area. And he came in and the boys were, as usual, they were young and they were jumping off the beds and making noise. And he was irritated. And he, I don't know if he yelled at me or if he just spoke strongly at me. I just remember immediately feeling that defensive reaction and running up the stairs, telling the boys to hush up, uh, to be quiet because dad was home. And they knew exactly what that meant. Dad's home, shape up, be quiet. And I remember the, the significant part of this is I remember walking down those stairs and my husband walking up and we looked at each other for just a second and neither of us said anything. But my thought at, the, at that moment was, it is never going to be quiet enough for you. It's never going to be clean enough for you. It's never going to be perfect enough for you. Why do you have to be such a big jerk to your own family? <laughs> Those are my thoughts. We're the people that you're supposed to love most. And you're always coming at us. I'm just sick and tired of it. He looked at me and he knew I didn't have to say a word. He knew exactly what I was thinking. I had that memory. And then my coach, you know, kind of brought me, brought me back. And she's just like, look, one of two things has happened. You either had nothing to do with this entire situation or you are so powerful, you created it. And I'd like to invite you into that power. And I just knew, I knew in that instant that I had created this. Now there's a caveat (laughs) because what I don't want anyone thinking is that this lets my husband, my ex-husband or anyone, you know, that you may be having these experiences with off the hook. Mm -hmm. It's not about blame, about power. So my taking responsibility for that doesn't mean that he's not responsible for his own actions. And so that I just want to make that clear that that's not what I'm trying to say here. So that's just a little vignette of, of what was happening in our marriage. I was able to see in that moment that I was creating a marriage that was filled with resentment and disappointment in him. And he knew it. There's only so long someone can live with that without it changing before they want to leave. They want to escape. It's not about blame because he was he wasn't blameless, um, and and it was going the other direction as well. But when I could actually see it for what it is, that's how I could see how exactly I had created a marriage in which my husband wanted to leave. You address the whole idea of like what about when the people or the person that uh, someone is married to is because I, all of us are very quite are quite difficult people. If we were if we're totally honest with ourselves, I mean, there's some level level of imperfection in all of us that makes it challenging at times to be around us or to be with us. Um, But some of it can be an unhealthy amount, especially if this person isn't kind to their families or whatever it may be. Right. And so, I mean, there's that part of me that's like, how do you parse out how difficult is this person being and is it reasonable and are they willing to work on it or if they're not? Do you see, like, where, where do people make that discernment of, is this worth continuing? Yeah. Well, if you're asking that question, you're ruminating on 
at what point do I leave or how much work is this going to take? You're, you're right. If, if what you're thinking is, man, would life be better if I got divorced? You know, you're actually right. You're hundred percent correct. Your life probably would get better, but that assumes that you're retaining your current level of skills in your marriage. Answer to that is to increase your skills to create the marriage you want. One of two things is going to happen if you do that. You're going to stop thinking about leaving or wondering if your spouse can change or you'll stop. That dialogue can end because your marriage will either one be so amazing that you don't want to leave Mm -hmm. or you'll know that it was a problem that you couldn't solve and you should leave. (laughs) At least you're leaving with the skills of creating an excellent marriage. Yeah, that's so beautiful. You have told me previously that you have a five-step process. Can you talk us through that? Sure. Yeah. So I teach this, you know, to clients who want to stay. And the first thing that the number one step is to identify what you don't want. Now that may seem kind of silly. It was like a course, but in naming those things, what you do is you proceed to the second step, which is decide what you do want. What you don't want informs what you do want. So very often women are not accustomed to being either asked about their desires or thinking about their desires. We are accommodating. We we think very holistically. We think relationally. We want to make everyone happy around us. Typically, I'm talking about stereotypes. So often we drop desires at the door of marriage. We don't take them forth. We're like, well, what does he want? Okay, that's what I want. That seems acceptable. Once you've been married a while, though, (laughs) your marriage will show you very clearly things that you don't want. Identifying those things is is the the first step to determining what it is that you do want. And that's step number two. So what is your happily ever after? And I'm not talking about what's realistic, what you think your husband would be willing to do. It's what do you actually want? If there is a universal waitress out there taking your order and she says, or a genie in a bottle and they say, anything is possible. What do you want? That's the place that we're going. That's what we're going to talk about. What you actually want, what is actually your dream life. The third step is to recognize your husband actually wants the same thing. Now, in my husband's case, he thought that he wanted the heaters turned down so that he would have a lower power bill, right? It was in his mind, it was about money, but that's not what actually wanted. He didn't want to create a home that was so uncomfortable for his wife and children that they would resent him. He thought that was a means to an end, but he actually, what he really wanted was a happy family, a warm family, a family that would appreciate the hard work that he put in to pay for that. And if money was actually the problem, which it wasn't in our case, he made a lot of money then you solve a, a, a much easier problem. And that's just, you make some more money. Uh-huh. I could have made more money. He could have made some more money. That wasn't actually the problem. Okay. But not recognizing that we actually both wanted the same thing was the problem. When you really step into this and you can see that your husband, he may be acting and saying things that seem in opposition to you. But when you can pull back and take a a bigger, more expansive view, you can see we all want the same things. Humans are like daisies, water, sunlight, soil, minerals. Humans grow the same way. And we all basically want the same things. We want great marriages, work that we can be engaged in, happy families, beautiful homes, a money machine. We want want similar things. So we're not as different as we think. I thought my husband wanted to freeze us out. I was wrong. And when he thought that I wanted to spend us into the poorhouse by turning on the heaters, he was wrong. So that's step number three, recognize your husband actually wants the same thing. Step number four is mentally set the standard for your marriage and create certainty in your mind. This derives from you know deciding what you do want. Now you're going to set a standard. What is, what is acceptable in my home? What is it that I'm willing to have? And what am I willing to not have? And basically it can be said in a number of ways, but one of the ways is I'm just not attracted to a person who yells at me all the time. I mean, that's just a fact. It's, that's the standard. I I live in a home in which my husband doesn't yell at me. That's the standard in my home. 
And when you have a level of certainty and you can come into a conversation, and I'm not talking about being adversarial, I'm not talking about attacking, none of those things. The energy flavors everything that is received by everyone around you, which is the fifth step. This is invite your husband into your shared happily ever after, sweetly, and then you coach your husband if he needs it. So you become the coach in your marriage, directing him to better thoughts, to inviting him to a shared happily ever after. I don't think there's a a husband alive that wouldn't want an invitation from his wife to enter into a peaceful, loving marriage that's filled with compliments and touching and great sex and you know the kind of the kind of marriage you've decided that you want and then you've created certainty around having you invite your husband to that to go there with you it feels very hopeful mm-hmm. the whole process as soon as you talked about what do you want mm-hmm. i think that or that question of you know what you don't want and what you do want but that idea that like oh think about the ideal and then use that as a framework to to create a different a different world than you currently are living in. Exactly. So in regards to energy of words, the energy of words, sometimes I think I, I'm able to discern, oh, I feel like this is what is being communicated non-verbally because a lot of, most of communication in my mind is non-verbal. Yes. Yet we also sometimes can misjudge things where it's like, oh, I wasn't correct about that, but it mm-hmm. seemed like that, but it I was incorrect. But other times where we can say, wow, I definitely read that correctly. Those energy of what we're thinking, our thoughts that are maybe very negative about our spouse or about um, a relationship, how do we control that? One of the things is like, if you're, if you're perceiving something that is going on and you're having a negative response to it, the first thing you need to look at is one of two, one of two things is happening. Either that you're totally picking up on what they're saying, right? Whether it's criticism or whatever, and the criticism is deserved or it's not. And what you get to do in either scenario is say, is it true or is it not true? I mean, to be able to confront yourself and really look at whether the criticism is deserved or whether if it's your critical thought that you're directing at your spouse and you're observing something, then you can also ask, is, is it wise of me to have this criticism? Because mm-hmm. we're not, it's very unwise to gaslight yourself into thinking happy thoughts about something that actually needs to be changed. Before you try to just have happy thoughts, you need to engage your critical thinking skills and say, is this justified, right? Is, is this feeling that I'm getting, is this negative feeling, whatever, is it justified? Because like you said, we communicate, you know, there is an energy to the words that are spoken. And just because somebody says something doesn't necessarily mean that that's what they're thinking behind it. Our words, whether they're our words and our feelings, you know, whether they're spoken aloud or not, they flavor how either your spouse perceives you or how you perceive what they're saying. And so it's, like you said, there's, there's like a, there's like an, a sixth sense <laughs> that picks up on the energy behind it. I mean, think about this. This is an example. If you've ever talked to someone who said they're fine, but everything in you knows that they're clearly not fine, uh-huh. right? You pick up on the energy, you know, I mean, you probably had that. I, I did that to my husband. How's it going? It's fine. The words are not conveying at all what is really going on, right? And people are not dumb. <laughs> they know. And so, and, and like I said, so, so on the flip side of that, that means there may be something that you, are, you would be wise to pay attention to and, and not gaslight yourself into being a Pollyanna about something that needs to be addressed and changed. Yeah. And I guess, so the natural, if, if somebody is naturally critical towards their spouse, or um, I would say that that's more common for me, at least amongst my, amongst myself and my female friends, that we tend to be a little more critical of our spouses. But I don't know if that's true for, you know, nothing is everyone, right? But it, it kind of seems like 
sometimes women tend to struggle with this more, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure if that's true. But I I just feel like is that if people are typically more verbal, that's for sure. Yeah, we're more verbal about it. There we go. We communicate more about whatever criticisms we have. And I guess my question about that is when you recognize that you're doing that, do you, you would ask those questions of like, is this something that needs to be addressed, you know, or is this something that is really not serving me? Yeah. So just ask yourself, you know, if, if, is this worthy of criticism? Like, is it something that needs to be changed? Number one. And if you decide it's not worthy of criticism and he doesn't need to change, then you need to change. And if you, or you can decide you want to be a critical divorced woman, because <laughs> that's always an option as well. <laughs> and I'm curious when we talked about, when you talked um, earlier about um, patriarchy mm-hmm. and that idea, how is that created in our minds? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, if you refer back to the heater war story, what was, what was happening at that moment was what was happening when all of that was going on was I was thinking this thought, I don't have any say here. Right. So I did nothing. I said nothing and I did nothing. We just, you know, went back and forth with the heater. Um, And that created the result of my husband. When I said, I don't have any say here, it created the result of my husband being in complete control of the thermostat. But the reality was this, this is what's so crazy. He was gone all day. I was actually in control of the thermostat, (laughs) but I relegated my, in my own mind, my equality. And as a result, I was physically in control, but I gave all of that control up. Basically I had it and I threw it away. So when a woman is in a patriarchal marriage, she's in one because she's actively participating in it. Even if she thinks she's a passive victim, that's what I thought. And there's a level of tolerance that is, is enters at this point. I'll ask this question of you. Why is it that you have a guest come over to stay at your house and you don't allow them to take a knife to your couch? Uh, because that would be destruction of property. And that wouldn't feel like a normal thing for a person right. staying at my house to do, right? That wouldn't seem for your kids or any, you know, anyone. The reason that that would never occur is because you would never tolerate it. And the people around you know that. Why is it that you're in a patriarchal marriage? Because you're tolerating it. Yeah. And is that just by using your voice? What does speaking up look like? Well, speaking up, you know, it can be as simple as stop it. Stop it. It's not okay. Women are not accustomed to using our words and we're not accustomed to speaking bluntly and we're not accustomed to, and again, I'm speaking as a stereotype, right? Not, not everyone, not every woman is like this. Yeah, We're not, we are not accustomed to believing that we have that kind of power, that we have equal power. And what he says or what we say is equally as important and significant as something maybe our husband would say, if he said, stop it, you'd probably stop it. Right. You'd you'd check yourself and question, Oh, wait, is that acceptable or not? But we don't say anything. I didn't ever say anything. Had I just had the conversation, Hey, we're freezing here. The kids are freezing. I'm freezing. We're all starting to resent you. I don't think this is the best way to do it. Let's figure it out. Let's figure out another way. You know, mm-hmm. it would have stopped. <laughs> so, you know, the interesting thing to think about, this is the, this is the most important lesson in that is, again, we're back to recognize your husband actually wants the same thing. And it's to recognize it's not good for you. And it's not good for your husband for you not to speak up. He doesn't actually want to be married to a woman who doesn't think he's as e- she's his equal. It's, it's hard to respect someone that you think is beneath you. And every husband actually wants to respect his wife. And I would say that in reverse, like every woman wants to respect her husband. Absolutely. I am curious about how that impacts the children because any children in a marriage that see that, I think that tends to create some really negative feelings of the kids towards the, the patriarchal, you know, if yeah. they're not happening, that creates a really negative feeling towards. Yeah. Yeah. Husband. Yeah. And, and that was one unconscious thing that I created, you know, when, 
when I told you I ran up the stairs and dad's home, be quiet, pipe down. What does that do? It, it, it created fear and, you know, a, a negative feeling toward him. Right? Instead of speaking directly to him with conviction and love, <laughs> I didn't, right? I didn't use my voice. I used it to tell the kids to be quiet. And then we just went along with the crazy behavior instead of speaking up. So for sure, there's, there is definitely an impact on your children when you do that. And you're modeling terrible behavior. And we all know that everything that is going on in our marriage is perpetuated in the next generation, because how do we learn? We learn by seeing what we have lived with. It's all modeling. We learn by example far more than we ever learned by the words that our parents say they're going to repeat that pattern. That's why this is so critical to figure out. <laughs> that was one of my biggest motivations in trying to figure this out. I mean, I, I was trying to figure it out for myself, number one, because I don't want my daughter taking this same pattern into her marriage. I come from a long line of patriarchal marriages that it just keeps perpetuating. And I just decided it, it was a huge wake-up call for me to get divorced over. Never in my wildest dreams did I think that I would end up divorced. I thought I would be married forever and I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And yet what has sprung from this is it was a huge wake up call for me. And I decided I am going to fix this problem. I'm going to fix it in my life and I'm going to help as many women as I know, fix it in theirs. And it can stop with my generation. How have you practiced this in your life? Well, you know, now that I'm single. I'm just starting to date. I actually took oh, about two and a half years to just figure it out. I intentionally stayed single for those, for those two and a half years because I knew that I needed to work it out. You know, and I, I knew also that I would drag it into my next marriage if I didn't. And I am not interested in doing that in the least bit. <laughs> so, you know, my first year after my divorce, I just was grieving and processing and swimming in misery. That's how I would describe it. <laughs> and then that year of misery kind of pushed me into like, okay, I'm going to figure something out. The second year was the year that I would say that was the year of my transformation. I fought hard to find the answers. I became a coach. I hired a coach. I prayed. I ruminated. I spent sleepless nights thinking about how to fix this. You know, what are the steps? What are the skills that I was missing that I need to learn to to figure this out? And this is what I landed on this program and and I'm and now I'm I'm practicing it in my own dating relationships. It's fun to finally feel like wow, <laughs> this stuff actually works and see it in in practice. You can coach your husband or your partner, that you can decide whether you want and have conviction in it and not tolerate things that previously I would have tolerated. And I'm setting a really high standard for marriage and it's delightful. It's delightful for me and it's delightful for the guy that I'm dating. That's beautiful. And I'm curious, maybe for those people who feel like they're maybe stuck on the fourth step you mentioned, which is mentally set a standard and create certainty yeah. in one's mind. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Certainty is an emotion, right? And emotions are generated by thought. So we don't just fall into emotions. We don't just randomly trip over and fall into sadness or love or <laughs> whatever, you know, it's a direct result of a thought. So when you're setting the standard, you're intentionally using your brain to think thoughts that are going to create certainty in your mind. I will have this. This is what I want. You know, all of this, these steps build on themselves. When you can see what you don't want, right? And that's usually pretty easy. It's like, this is, it's usually what's going on, right? What's going on that's making you unhappy. And then deciding what you do want. Okay. Seeing the possibility. Oh my gosh, this would be amazing. And then that certainty really starts to set in when you're like, oh, with the third step, you're like, he actually wants the same thing. Again, this occurs in the coaching, you know, in the one-on-one -on -one coaching that I do. 
they're really coming into the conviction and having those thoughts. And, and it's not just thoughts. It's not, I'm not talking about just like, we're going to change your thoughts. We're going to try to shoehorn this thought into, you know, your empty head. It's not at all like that. It's actually an acknowledgement of the truth. So it's like saying, I'm going to have a thought about gravity versus gravity's real. It exists. And so when you understand that what is actually real is all humans want the same thing and your husband wants the same thing. Now, unless you're married to a psychopath, which there's a few out there, (laughs) he wants the same thing. He really, truly does. He wants the same happiness, but just doesn't know how to get it. Right. Just like my husband didn't know how to get what he wanted. He thought turning the heater down would get him what he want, what he wanted. And that wasn't at all the case. So the steps build and your thoughts shift and you start recognizing truth. And that creates conviction. You're stepping into your truth. I will have this. This is, and this is, this is something everybody wants in the home. Right. Um, And just, and bumping up against yourself and sometimes your spouse to get there. This, this is not a recipe for a marriage without strife, with, for a marriage without challenges. That doesn't exist. The purpose of marriage is to create and build better humans. I think of it often as the analogy of you're putting a bunch of rough rocks into a tumbler, you know, a rock tumbler, and that tumbler is marriage. <laughs> and in the process of all of the adversities and arguments, everything, you're going to get your hard edges knocked off. But here's the thing. What's the goal? The goal at the end is to come out a beautiful, smooth, polished stone. It's not that things are going wrong if you have a disagreement or whatever, but you navigate it so much more easily when you understand these principles. We're on the same page. We both want the same thing. This is the standard in our marriage, and we're both we're both actively pursuing that. And yeah, you're going to have to ask for forgiveness when you, you know, do something stupid, and you're going to have to give forgiveness when he does something stupid. But it just makes the process so much more enjoyable and lovely and delightful. When you say inviting your husband into your happily ever after mm-hmm. or your spouse into that area with you, I just, I keep on thinking if there, if there have been like past experiences with your um, spouse that have been difficult and they you've responded a certain way or whatever, mm-hmm. is it because I kind of, I guess I'm curious about like, what does that look like? such that you're coaching them through something like, could you give us an example of something? Yeah. So a great analogy for that would be like, how is a wedding invitation extended? A wedding invitation is there is a beautiful event that's going to take place. There's going to be cake and there's going to be flowers. There's going to be dancing and music and, and punch and, you know, and we want you to join us, right? We would love it. It's going to happen regardless of whether you come or not. Uh, but we'd love to have you there. And that's the same type of invitation you're, you're inviting. You're, you're telling him all of the beautiful things that you've decided that you want. You've decided that you will have. That's setting the standard. And then you invite him to that beautiful place. It's going to occur. You're going to have that, whether he decides to join you on that journey or not. The minute you step into that conviction, he may have to confront himself a little bit. But again, barring psychopaths, there's very few husbands that don't want to go there. Who doesn't want to go to an amazing, fun wedding? This is also flavored. Remember what we talked about earlier about it's flavored with the thought behind the invitation. This cannot be coercive, manipulative, pushy, passive aggressive. The invitation has to be extended from a place of, I love you so much. This is, you're the only one that I want you to come. (laughs) You're the only one that I want to come to this wedding. And genuinely, because he's going to sense if this is at all flavored with any of those negative things. Yeah. You know, so the invitation is extended in service to him as much as it is in service to you. It's beautiful. And this is kind of, I feel like a a turn from what we've been talking about, but we were going to dive a little bit into potentially the conversation around narcissism. So when you are dealing with some of yeah. those tendencies. It's interesting because just since we, just since you and I talked a little bit about, about that, I've, I've sort of had some different, different thoughts about it. I really was like, I think what, what happened and I just had a, a shift around this. So, you mm-hmm. know, 
here's what I think now. I think it's true that there, there are some diagnosed narcissists out there. Absolutely. And if you're married to one, you should run. Yeah. <laughs> to therapy or away, but you should run. But you know, the accepted wisdom is that narcissists are made, not born. And we talked about this. But I've been thinking a lot about in terms of coaching. If my husband is acting like a narcissist, the question is, did I create it? Am I creating it? Again, you're just stepping into your power. If I created his actions that reek of narcissism, then I can uncreate it. And so actually leaning too much into learning about narcissism. At the time I did that, I did a deep dive because I wanted to understand, right? I wanted to understand what in the heck had just happened in my marriage and what had destroyed it. And and a lot of things seemed to fit. But the problem with it is that it actually hindered my ability to stop seeing myself as a victim. As soon as you name something or diagnose something, give it, then you're kind of trapped in that paradigm. You know, I, I thought a lot about it. And I think that women are always looking to excuse bad behavior with an explanation. And I was no different. So it doesn't necessarily matter why it's there. And that was a lot of what I was trying to answer. Why? Why did this happen? Right. But it doesn't so matter much why it's there. What matters is that you get rid of it. Yeah. And, and maybe. And so my question is, is that do you feel like staying stuck on like, oh, my spouse was a narcissist or so and so was Mm -hmm. had autism or whatever it may be like there's some spectrum or they were on the whatever these labels are that sometimes they keep us from creating something different absolutely yeah the minute you say words like they're on the spectrum or they're diagnosed with or it's age appropriate you limit yourself your tunnel vision just goes and all of your power goes away because humans are capable of so much more than we give them credit for and Mm -hmm. our brains are oftentimes creating the very thing that we get diagnosed. It's it's our own behavior. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to go into the realm of clinical depression or actual autism or anything like that. I'm not, again, it's not about blame, right? I'm not saying you've created this, you know, that's an actual thing. But what I'm saying is just when when our brains go to that space, it limits our vision. We get tunnel vision. Do you believe in the law of attraction or the law of creation? Do you have a distinguishing? Yeah. You know, I, I thought a lot about this because I remember several years ago reading the, the book. The Secret. Oh. Yeah, that was really big for a while. I didn't ever see the movie, but I know there was a movie. And, and you know, it's, it's highly, um, it's really compelling to want to believe in that. And, and there is some truth to it. Our thoughts do create our reality. The problem, though, is it's only half of the equation. So you have the law of attraction on one side that gets you going, right? The desire, but it's missing the law of the harvest, the actual work that creates the thing in the end. So when you combine those two, you have the, you know, the law of the harvest, meaning you reap what you sow, combined with the law of attraction, you create what you think. That is where the power is. Yeah, that feels like the law of creation. Yeah, that's probably just a term that I've not used for that before. Right. I like that you use both, that there is an effort that goes into what we create. I'm curious about the emotional hygiene aspect that we all have to take care of in our lives and being successful in turning things around in our lives. Will you share a tip or two for staying emotionally fit and clean? So my number one tip is this. Start going after the thing that you really want (laughs) and all of the depression and anxiety and the things that you think are a problem will fall away. So that's exactly what happened to me. So the dogged pursuit of solving the problem, my own problem, how did I create a marriage in which, which my husband wanted to leave? And if I did, how do I create something different in the future? I don't want to recreate that, right? I only know right now how to create that, right? The picture of how I did that became startlingly clear to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So literally that fog, that stew of misery that I was in for that year. And I was, I was in victim mode. I was, you know, blaming, maybe it's narcissism. Maybe it's, you know, like all the things that, that my mind was coming up with and all of the anger and depression and anxiety started to fall away when I started to pursue something that I was passionate about. 
there are a lot of ways to create emotional hygiene, but the fastest, surest, most effective way is to start going after something that you are deeply passionate about, whether it's solving a problem for yourself or solving a problem for someone you love. That's my, that's the number one thing that I can say, you know, there are a lot of other things, but that one actually takes care of a lot of things. If you, if you do that, you'll have many fewer things that you'll have to take care of. I would actually agree that I recently experienced that when I was so focused on podcasting, actually the beginning of, or the end of July, I had this really interesting thing where I was just so in the flow of doing it that I experienced this purpose that I've been, it just gave me purpose, right? And I needed purpose and that purpose made me feel so good. Right, right. And you probably stopped thinking about a lot of the other things maybe that you had been plagued with prior. Amen. That is, that is really something I needed to hear. So thank you so much for sharing that. And what are some books you recommend to myself or those who are listening? Because I know that you are an avid reader. (laughs) I love to read. I'm I'm a total nerd. (laughs) I read a few books a week. Amazing. Well, I mean, not always, but I usually have four or five going and I just bounce between them because I love to read so much. I would say one of my favorite authors is Terrell and Fiona Givens and they're you know, a couple, they have written recently, their newest book is called All Things New. Um, I believe it's All Things New, Rethinking Sin, Salvation, and Everything in Between. It's just a beautiful and fresh take on some church doctrine that, you know, just tackling the problem of, like, how did patriarchy come down through the ages? The problem of the mother God, you know, is God he or is it them heavenly mother and heavenly father i love the way that they think so and i was introduced to them years ago when i read the crucible of doubt that was my first introduction to their work and that's also an amazing read i would highly recommend both of those but um their newest one is a very short quick um just beautiful read so that's that's definitely one um i just finished a book by david schnarch he is a um sex therapist and he wrote Passionate Marriage. It's an older book. It's been out a while. Um, but he really digs into how to create um, what he calls a crucible marriage. Um, and it's written through the eyes of, obviously, in his work, which is as a sex therapist. So there's some crazy stuff in there. <laughs> you don't, And it's very technical. Um, I loved it because of, I'm passionate right, about figuring this problem out, whether it's, you know, and those are highly related, our you know, relationship and physical relationship. Um, so that was fascinating to me. So if you're that type of person, a bit of a nerd like me, you may enjoy that. I also love all of C.S. Lewis's works. He's probably one of my most favorite authors. He's also an author that I want to beat my head against the wall <laughs> to try to understand a lot of what he's written if it's not his more fictional works. Um, but he wrote a, an allegory um, about heaven and hell and how divorce from your cherished sins, I guess. And, and it's called the great divorce it has nothing to do with actual divorce, not marital divorce, but divorcing ourselves from those pet sins is the way to heaven. It's an entertaining and make you think kind of book. It's, it's one of my favorites. Yeah. And then I would say, I have one more book that, that is coming to mind right now. And then I have a couple of podcasts that I all recommend as well. Um, Big Magic. If you know Elizabeth Gilbert, she wrote Eat, Pray, Love and I think a few other books, but um, the reason I like this book so much is that it helps kind of connect you to your desire. Um, And it's more creative desire that she's talking about writing and art and different things, but it's, I think it would be a good one for women to read who feel disconnected from desire and are having a hard time with that, you know, second step, which is decide what you do want. Again, it's done. She's talking mainly creative pursuits, but there's a parallel there right? Finding out what you desire, what you love, what you want. It's all connected. So that might be a good thing to kind of a creative way to, to spark that. Yeah. That's wonderful. (laughs) I listen to a lot of podcasts. One of them I listen to is, um, LDS sex and therapist, um, relationship coach, Jennifer Finlayson five. I think it's under her name. Um, Uh that's a, that's a one just about relationships. Um, I'm probably familiar to a lot of people, but that's always one. It's a go-to. 
And then I've recently been listening to Breaking Down Patriarchy with Amy McPhee Alabest. And that is a real, it's a really interesting deep dive into the history of patriarchy and women's through women's literature. It will make you feel very smart <laughs> listening to wow. it, but also just fascinating. I know that she's a member of the church or was a member of the church. I'm assuming she still is, but I could be wrong about that. Don't quote me, but um, definitely has a lot, lot to say about um, LDS patriarchy. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm also curious, you know, in your story, you told us that the portion about coaching, how mm-hmm. you found a coach when you were in this place, and then you yeah. coach, you became a coach yourself. Right. Do you feel like that was critical? I mean, it seems like a critical part of your story. Absolutely. Um, I was just curious, like, because I just wonder how many people need a coach or need somebody to help them. I mean... I'm not saying this to, this may sound a little strange, but personally, I think everyone needs a coach. Does it have to be a coach that you hire? No. You know, you could, you may have a really wise person in your life that has great perspective that you respect and that can tell you hard things. Everybody needs a coach, but whether you hire one or not depends on your circumstances. But the problem with not having a coach, not having someone who can be honest with us it's hard to have your mom because your mom loves you and she's not going to say anything hard to you. I mean, sometimes she may, <laughs> right? right? But someone who can be, who can really show you like what's going on in your thinking, who can really show you your blind spots. And that's what my coach did for me. Um, just helped me see that the patriarchy I was swimming in, in my own head was a creation of my own head. And it wasn't a fact. It wasn't a circumstance in my life. It was actually something that I was creating and I could step out of and create something so much more healthy and beautiful. Yeah. Becoming a coach actually led me to her. She was in a coaching group that I was a part of, and I started listening to her podcast. That would be another one. If you're interested in business, she's a business coach, but she, her podcast is called how to make more money with Kelly Hollingsworth. And it's, I mean, if you're a woman and you're interested in creating a business, making money in or you're just interested in you know, listening to someone very intelligent speak, listen to her podcast. <laughs> it's amazing. That's awesome. So if somebody wants to use your services or, you know, find out more about what you're doing, well, how yeah. can we do you? I, I am going to be releasing a podcast soon. So be watching for that. I believe I'm writing it right now. It's going to be called Modern Marriage Makeover and hopefully be releasing sometime in October. Um, but as far as, you know, my, my website is uh, michelle-k.com and I have, I'm on Instagram with at Michelle K loves, and I have a Facebook, Michelle Kelsey, that's my full name. And then, um, if you want to email it's hello at michelle-k.com. That's pretty much where I'm at. That's wonderful. This is amazing. Thank you so much for your wisdom. You have definitely sought for it and it's apparent in this interview so thank you for doing the work in the pain and choosing to take that path so that you could empower and are empowering more women as a result of that thank you so much for what you're doing thank you it's it's been a pleasure and i'm thank you for giving me some time to talk with you about it it's been a delight 